Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hey, good morning, Christ Church. How are we doing? All right, I heard you guys clapping and laughing with Michelle. Come on, how are we doing? There we go. That's what I like to hear. Did you sleep well last night? I didn't. I mean, happy Independence Weekend. I'm as patriotic as they come before 10 p.m. After that, I'm British. You know what I'm saying? Like, good night. That was loud last night. Uh, Hey, super glad that you're here with us. Just momentary blindness for a few of you while we get it uh, set up. And uh, thank you, Sam. Really appreciate it. You were the man. Um, I am uh, just going to adjust that for a second. All right. Nobody's. All right. We're good. So if you got your Bibles, uh, get them locked and Loaded at 1 Samuel chapter 25 is where we will be. And as you're turning there, I want to uh, tell you a story kind of set up in the morning. Uh, So May 9th, 2015, Andrea and I uh, got married. We tied the knot. Uh, Two weeks later, we moved in with our roommate. Now, don't suggest newlyweds get roommates unless they're 80-year-old widows named Miss Sue, because she was the bomb. So we moved into Miss Sue's basement because we were interning at the church that Miss Sue was a member at, and it was complete, full, like the full spread, kitchenette, living room, master, everything. It was really awesome what she did for us. And I was a little nervous though, that it would become like a kind of a perpetual third wheel sort of situation, us living uh, with Miss Sue. And my fears were were proven, but I was surprised to learn out that I was the third wheel uh, in that household. Uh, Andrea and Miss Sue instantly became best friends. And uh, we would spend our summer, eve- I envisioned our first summer of marriage, like out on the town, dates, doing this sort of thing. We spent our first summer of marriage uh, watching Hallmark movies in Miss Sue's living room. And uh, finally, I was so tired of Hallmark movies, I just retired to the basement to play Angry Birds on my phone. Uh, but Andrea was not to be outdone. I found my best friend who was 80-year-olds and Miss Sue's brother-in-law, whose name was Wayne. Wayne was actually a founding uh, pastor of the church. He was a great minister. He was into his 80s now, declining health. So he wasn't preaching at the church, but he was still around. I didn't know uh, before I had moved in with Miss Sue that Wayne and Sue were related. One of the things that Miss Sue did for Andrea and I is that she allowed us to go to all of her family functions. She took us to, we ate our weight in breadsticks at Fazoli's that summer. I mean, it was a great time. But our favorite was the Sunday lunch with her extended family. My first time walking in there, I was seated at the table with Wayne. I did not know they were related. I was so excited to be sitting with him. He asked me what I was doing and I said I was learning to do ministry and he made sure I was sitting with him every Sunday after that. Every Sunday, Wayne would just impart wisdom to me about preaching and ministry and pastoral care and counseling and all kinds of things. On occasion, he would invite us over to his home and he showed us these pamphlets. He he had sermons that he had written. Um, Wayne was was a pretty big deal in the Christian church world. I had heard about him before. People used to call him the Bob Hope of the pulpit. He was once named America's Funniest Preacher. Now, Wayne used to tell me, you need, a, you need a lead with humor so you can bring the hammer. He used to say, get their heads back laughing so you can cut their necks with the truth. And a little graphic, but uh, I liked it. And I, some of you guys like that I tell fun stories and jokes and sermons, and you have Wayne uh, to thank for that. I really loved Wayne. I think that God used Miss Sue and Brother Wayne as a rite of passage that summer that Andrew and I spent uh, with them in Kentucky. So the next summer after that, I'm in my first month here at Christ Church, and I get word uh, that Wayne has passed away. And I was really sad. I knew that the phone number that he had given me to call him if I ever needed advice, it wasn't going to be him at the end of the line. I, I, was, I was really bummed. I was really sad. And uh, I, I tell you that story 
Because our scripture today in 1 Samuel chapter 25 begins with these three words. Now Samuel died. Samuel was David's wane. Samuel was the one who anointed David uh, at the command of God to be the next king of Israel. It was Samuel that David ran to when Saul tried to kill David. This was his trusted friend, his mentor, his, his prophet. I mean, this was a man whom David loved, whom David trusted, and now he's dead. Sad moment. And to make matters worse, the chapter before ours and the chapter after ours today, David is on the run from King Saul. For King Saul is trying to murder him. David is having to live in caves in the clefts of the rock to escape King Saul. The biblical author wants us to understand that this season of David's life was a tough, tough season. The author and professor Brene Brown, she writes this. She says, most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug addicted kid, one mental health illness, one assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair away from our breaking point. David is near his breaking point. I have a mirror up here on stage with me, and I wanted to illustrate something. It's a metaphor for us. For some of us look into the mirror, and we only see the pain and the problems that we have in our lives. David, looking into the mirror in this season of his life, he sees that his prophet, his friend, is dead. He sees that the king of Israel is chasing it. He's only served this king, and yet this king is betraying him, trying to kill him. When some of us look into the mirror, we see the results of another failed pregnancy test, the pain of an unfaithful spouse, the fear of hell struggling to believe that it's by grace that you have been saved, not by your own works. For some of us, this mirror represents pain or pressure or temptation or fear. This mirror represents how close we are to a breaking point. This mirror is sometimes hard to look into, right? For when we look into the mirror, we should see that we are the handiwork of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. But how many of us would be honest to say, when I look into that mirror, I just see the pain, the pressure, the temptation, the fear. This is where David's at in this season of his life. And it's important for David, and it's also important for us to have people in our corner who remind us of the goodness of God. For when we look into the mirror and we see only the pain and pressure, we need somebody to help us become the man or the woman after God's own heart, for we don't become that kind of person alone. You've heard us use the term pathways here at Christ Church, the pathways of discipleship. At church, if you don't hear anything else this morning, I would want you to hear this. If you're somebody who writes things down in church, you can write this down. Christian community is an essential ingredient on the pathway to completeness in Jesus. We need Christian friends, especially when we're at our breaking point. Our, our, our scripture today in 1 Samuel 25 begins verses 2 and 3. It says, A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Now, I told you that David was on the run from King Saul at this season in his life. He would go from place to place, and as he was going from place to place in hiding, he would meet different peoples, different communities, and he would form a relationship with them. This was not uh, unique to David. People who were on the run sometimes did this, but David had an army with him. He was able to provide protection. 
the relationship between David and Nabal was one of protector and provider. David provided the protection for Nabal, Nabal's household, his property, his livestock. David and his men made sure life was going well for Nabal. And in return, Nabal would provide provisions and goods and foods and services to David and his men when they need it. Now, the scripture tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 25 that it's sheep shearing time. If you know anything about sheep shearing time, you know it's joyful, abundant, full of generosity. So David sends some of his men to Nabal to collect some of the provisions that were rightfully his and his men's. The men approach Nabal and they say, long life to you and good health to you and your household and good health to all that is yours. This is a kind and pleasant greeting to which Nabal replies, Who's David? And this is not an innocent who's David. It's not even an ignorant who's David. This is a smug and arrogant who's David. Who's David? I mean, the most popular song in Israel at the time was this. Saul has slain his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. Everybody knew that it was David who slayed the Philistine giant. Everybody knew who David was. Who's David? David's the man who's been making sure all of your property and your people have been taken care of. Who's David? Uh, the men of David, they go back to David and they tell him the news. And David has a choice to make. What's he going to do with this rejection? What's he going to do with Nabal betraying kindness with evil? Verse 22 says, or 21 says, David said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. David's serious. David's mad. David's reached his breaking point. And in case you think David's not all that serious, verse 13, David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. David and his men begin the march to Nabal's house, sword strapped and ready to kill. He has reached his breaking point. Let me ask you a question. You ever been on a vacation with toddlers? I know this might seem like a rough transition, but let me explain. I want to tell you a story on me so we don't judge David too harshly for his breaking point. Uh, some of you here at Christ Church lied to my wife and I and said that it would be fun to take our toddlers on a vacation. Fun? No, stressful is the word that we would use to summarize. You also said Florida in October would be a good time. We were greeted with 50 degree balmy beach weather. Thank you so much, Christchurch. We really appreciate it. We had uh, both of our boys in pack and plays in the hotel room. They were talking to each other all night long. They wouldn't nap. We ended up putting Murphy, his pack and play, in the bathroom so that they would be separated a little bit. This is where we were at. But I can roll with those kinds. I mean, it's, I love my wife, my sons. I can roll with it. We can have a good time. But there was something that was happening that week that was my biggest pet peeve. My biggest pet peeve is when people smoke in non-smoking areas. Now, if people want to smoke in smoking areas, that's fine. This is a free country. Happy Independence Day. You know what I'm saying? But smoking in non-smoking areas drives me crazy. When I was uh, 13, 14, 15, I worked at this place called Fiesta Pools and Spas. I was a tarp cleaner. People would bring in their pool tarps. We would find dead animals, twigs, bathing suits. The guy who I worked with smoked all day long, and it created an aversion in me to the smell and to the chemicals that were in the air. And so it bothers me when people smoke in a non-smoking area. Andrea and I, we're out on the balcony the first evening. 
and I smell it. I smell the smoke. And Andrea is trying to convince me that it's not a big deal, and I'm trying to convince her there has never been a bigger deal in the history of humanity. So I announce to everybody who can hear me on the balconies out back overlooking the ocean, I say, reminder, this is a non-smoking establishment. And I yell, I yell it pretty loud, but kind of kind, you know, pleasant. Now, the next morning we go out there and I smell it again. I go downstairs, I look up at the balcony. I'm trying to spot who the person is. They're our next door neighbor. And so I go back upstairs and I say right into the wall, I say, reminder, stop smoking. This time a little less. Guys, I got to the point where I was going to tattletale on the, to the front desk. I started calling their room number with my phone, acting like I was the front desk, reminding them that there's a cleaning fee associated. I was like losing my mind because of what these people were doing. I was, so, I was reaching, when I looked into that mirror in the hotel bathroom, I saw two things. Number one, I saw Murphy sleeping in the pack and play. And number two, I saw a man at the edge of his breaking point. Thankfully, Andrea could settle me down, but man, I was angry. I was frustrated. And you're judging me, aren't you? I can see it on your faces. It's easy to judge David. But how many of us have reached that same point where we're just about to snap? It is a thin line, a short distance between the breaking point and the sinning point. David's there. He is a sword strapped and he's on his way to Nabal's house ready to kill. Thankfully, the story has a hero. One of my favorite characters in the Bible, her name is Abigail. This is Nabal's wife, if you remember. Abigail had heard from one of the servants what was going on, that Nabal had betrayed David's kindness with evil. And so she gathered food, supplies, wine, and she went to meet David on the road. I want you to hear and listen well to the speech that she gives David when she meets him on the road. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. All right, mid-speech, let's summarize what she said so far. She's called her husband a fool, which is fair. She has also reminded David that his hands are still free of bloodshed. He has not sinned yet. And finally, she says, I brought snacks for everybody. She would have been a great little league mom. She continues her intervention. Verse 28, please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. And when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. Dang! She's good. This is right up there with four score and seven years ago. Ask not 
what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Somebody let this lady write our president's speeches. She's good. She's real good. And what she's doing for David on that road is she's holding up a mirror and she's clearing up the picture that David sees. What David sees is the pain and the pressure and the temptation that his prophet is dead. His king is trying to murder him and Nabal has betrayed him. He only sees the negatives and he's reached his breaking point on his way to his sinning point. But Abigail holds up the mirror on the road. She says, no, 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 no. Look, you are the anointed king of Israel. You are to be a man after God's own heart. You are a man whom God loves and he will protect you. He will avenge you. Remember who you are. She holds up a mirror for David to clearly see who he is. And she stops him in a loving rebuke as he is on his way to murder Nabal. We need more people like Abigail with a spiritual backbone, don't we? to stand up and rebuke and to stop and to remind others of the goodness of God. Somebody once asked me, as we were celebrating, or the country, I should say, was celebrating the LGBTQ month this week. They asked me, why do you think that community is so loving? And I gave them my honest response. I said, I don't know that it's love. They're probably more tolerant than we are. Tolerance isn't a spiritual gift. Abigail was full of grace and truth. She reminds me of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Abigail is Christ-like in this moment, coming to David full of grace and truth. My friends, when grace walks into the room, truth does not leave. And vice versa, when truth walks into the room, grace does not leave. So my comment about the LGBTQ community is the same comment I would have when I'm driving to Maranatha Bible Camp along the highway and I see billboards just plastered with all of the sins that lead to hell and death and destruction and they're true. But where's the billboard about life and life to the fullest? Our culture is so divided. Grace, truth, Jesus brings the fullness of both. He doesn't balance it. He doesn't try to tip the scale. He brings the fullness of both grace and truth just like Abigail did on the road to meet David. I wonder if Paul was thinking about Abigail when he wrote to the brothers and sisters in Galatia. He said this in Galatians 6.1, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I wonder how many Christians had their sword strapped on on their way to Nabal's house and they made it there to commit their sin because they weren't stopped by a friend. Far be it from Abigail to let David do this. I think of the wisdom of the Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Abigail wasn't tolerant. She wasn't a bully. She was graciously truthful. And David took Abigail's rebuke to heart and turned around. He didn't go to Nabal's house that day. Abigail's courage and bravery saved David from committing sin. The story in 1 Samuel chapter 25 comes to a close with Nabal being struck down, this time not by the hand of David, but by the hand of the Lord who avenged David. When David heard the news of Nabal's death, he said this in 1 Samuel 25 verse 39, praise be to the Lord. Which seems kind of funny, but it's genuine praise. The full context is this, that David was praising God because God avenged David and kept David from sinning. 
The full verse of 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord, who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Man, when we look into this mirror, we're at our breaking point. We need someone like Abigail who will remind us of the goodness of God, who will rebuke us in sin, who will sit with us in pain. And my friends, I'm grateful to be a part of a church who's full of people like Abigail. I think of my friends, the Rayburns who are sitting, they, these guys drive like 40, 45 minutes to come to this building. It's insane. Their gas bill's outrageous. But they're here Sundays, Wednesdays, classes, groups. Their kids are in kids' programs. They serve. They've both gone on mission trips. Why? Because they love to be people full of grace and truth, holding up a mirror for us to see the goodness of God and to be reminded of who we are. You just met Michelle. Michelle and her husband, Chewy, lead Cone Mies Manos. There's a picture that's going to pop up on the screen of a classroom at Cone Mies Manos. They live in one of the most dangerous cities in the world. They drive these vans, or I've been in this van. It's not fun to be in these vans, driving around, seeing the cartel vehicles and stuff. They drive every single day in one of the most dangerous cities in the world, picking up kids who are deaf, individuals who are deaf, and bringing them to this classroom and classrooms like it to teach them about the love, the goodness, the grace, the truth of God, and to teach them about science and math and carpentry and computers and art to remind them that they are the handiwork of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, despite that they can't hear other people speaking. The young man who, oh, can we bring that picture up one more time? The young man who is at the front of the classroom right there, his name is Yvonne. Yvonne was seven years old when he went to Kone Mismanos as a student. Michelle and Chewie brought him in. They taught him about the goodness of God. He's now in his early 20s. He is the pastor of that church that you just heard Michelle talking about. He is a teacher in the school, teaching the now seven-year-olds and 12-year-olds about the goodness of God. Because a long time ago when he was seven, Michelle and Chewie held up a mirror to him and said, God loves you. You have worth. You have value. They were an Abigail to Yvonne, and now Yvonne is an Abigail to a lot of other students. I think of the people here in our family ministry. Uh, my son, who's three years old, he can tell the stories that Miss Julie and Miss Beth, he can recite them, repeat them, tell me everything that's going on. When I tell a story to Willie about Jesus, he can't remember 30 seconds later. He can remember three days after Miss Beth and Miss Julie tell him. I think of the people who lead worship and kids club and just got back from camp. I think of the, the leaders who are about to hop on charter buses and go to Michigan with their high school students. People who are out there holding up a mirror to the next generation, reminding them that life and life to the fullest is found in God, not in the lies and temptations of the world. This church is full of Abigails. I'm sure many of you have an Abigail who is a part of this church. If you do, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your phone out and I want you to send them a message of gratitude, thanking them for being somebody who reminds you of the goodness of God, who will rebuke you in your sin, who will sit with you in your pain, who will keep you from that sinning point, just like Abigail did to David on the road. So I'm serious. If you feel a little unholy about getting your phone out, I'm just telling you, you have permission. Get your phone out. Send them a message of gratitude, please. Now, if you're in the room and you're like, I don't know, maybe you're new here. Uh, maybe you had somebody move away or somebody pass away who was your Abigail. If you're looking to get connected here at Christ Church, I want to introduce you to somebody who's really good at connecting people. His name is Josh Clark. Josh serves here as our small groups minister. He meets with people at coffee shops and, and, and restaurants, and he's always hanging out with people trying to connect people. If you need connected, if you need help forming relationships like the one Abigail did for David, I, 
I want to encourage you this. Reach out to Josh. He'll help you get connected. He's forming groups that are going to launch this fall to help people get rooted together in the gospel and in the truth. So if you need an Abigail in your life, I want to ask you to reach out to Josh and ask him for help. If you have a young person in your life, a student, a kid, scroll our website. Kalisa Veer, our director of communication, has done a great job uh, aligning our website to be so helpful, so informative of how you can get connected. If you need counseling, we have counseling services, pastoral care service. We have right here, right now. We have so many opportunities for you if you need somebody to help you see the goodness of God. Church, I said it before, then I say it again. An essential ingredient on the pathway to completeness in Jesus is this. Christian community. So let's do this together. Completeness in Jesus as we become men and women after God's own heart. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the story of Abigail. She reminds us of Jesus who came full of grace and truth. She stopped David. She had the courage to stop David as he was on the road to murder Nabal. Praise God for that. We praise God for the people here at Christ Church who have sat with us in our pain Praise God for the people who have rebuked us in our sin, who have restored us, who have come to us full of grace and truth. Father, these are examples, small examples of Jesus, the ultimate bringer of grace and truth. We're grateful. We're gathered here in his name. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christchurch, visit us online at cco.church.